Lord, we give this time to you, God, and we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, that you would help us to understand this spiritual book, God. We know we can't understand uh, spiritual things with carnal minds, God. So give us a spiritual mindset. Help us to focus, Lord. Help us to uh, clear our minds of anything uh, that's distracting, maybe things that are going on in our life or um, or things that we're worried about coming up. Uh, God, I pray in this moment we would just be uh, intentional about focusing on you. Give us the power of your spirit to focus on what you're trying to communicate to us. Uh, so bless this study, God. Bless uh, the, the time that we have here together. We pray that uh, this time would, would glorify you and, and that you would edify uh, your body, your your bride, God, that we be encouraged by you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever wondered why there are certain laws in the U.S.? And I'm not talking about just all the laws. I'm talking about specific laws. Uh, you know, like some laws in the United States are, are kind of ridiculous, uh, and they're ridiculous for various reasons. Uh, some laws, they just don't really make sense. Uh, other laws... Uh, are kind of ridiculous because you can't really enforce them. Uh, and then there are other laws that are ridiculous uh, because you, you just simply can't keep uh, those laws. So I was looking at different laws in the United States, and I stumbled upon a few that I'd like to share with you. In Fort Thomas, Kentucky, dogs dogs are prohibited from chasing people or other animals. Okay, how are you going to enforce that? How do you prevent a dog from chasing an? Yeah, you could put it on a leash, but but it's illegal for the dog to do that. It's not about the owner; it's about the dog doing this. And then, what do you do with the dog when it breaks the law? In, in Indiana, it's against the law to catch a fish with your bare hands and keep it. Okay, so think about this: if you can catch a fish with your bare hands, don't you think you deserve to keep it? Like, if you, come on, like, okay, you can use a fishing pole, can't use your bare hands. So I was looking at this, it reminded me of a story. Um, I caught a fish with my bare hands one time. Um, uh, well, I had a tool. So we were, we were going down this river, uh, in, uh, in Florida. Um, it was, uh, fresh water that led out to, to the ocean, uh, eventually. Uh, does anybody know what a snook is? It's a type of fish. Okay, a couple people. Snook, it's uh, it's um, in the bass family. Really good eating. There, there are only seasons that you can catch them, and they're awesome. They're they're very good eating, and they're all over Florida in the estuaries where the saltwater meets the freshwater. So I'm just going along paddling with somebody else in my canoe, and I see this huge snook. It's probably about 35 inches, and I just reacted. Uh, I grew up fishing, so I took my oar and I just bam banged it on the head and knocked him out. And, and then I brought him into the boat. I'm like, look at this huge snook. I just caught with my bare hands. Um, I didn't kill him. Uh, I ended up letting him go because I didn't have anything to cook him with. Uh, but uh, it was just one of those things. Like I was thinking about this a lot. Like, man, I caught a thing with my bare hands. If I wanted to eat it, I feel like I deserved to eat that thing. In Indiana, catch a fish with your bare hands? Nope. Against the law. In Quitman, Georgia... It's illegal for chickens to cross the road. For real. It's illegal for a chicken to cross the road. How, how do you enforce that law? You, you tell the chicken, you put signs up that say no chicken crossing, like, and they're supposed to observe that and follow it. And then what happens when the chicken crosses the road? Do you, do you execute the thing? Uh, do, you, do you put it in chicken prison for the rest of its life? Like, what are the consequences for the chicken? Uh, so uh, there's, a, there's a law in Washington. Uh, you can be arrested or fined for harassing Bigfoot. 
You can be arrested or fined for harassing Bigfoot. Now, come on. If you're harassing Bigfoot, I think Bigfoot can deal with his own problems, right? Like, you got to be, uh, you know, first of all, if Bigfoot's actually real, I have my doubts. Uh, but, but then again, if you're harassing Bigfoot, you're probably, your life is over. You know, there's like beef jerky commercials where Bigfoot just demolishes people. Uh, in Alabama, uh, it, it, bear wrestling matches are prohibited, Okay. It's illegal for bears to wrestle with each other. Um, now, I get it if you're making bears wrestle with each other. But what happens if you're walking through the woods and you stumble upon two bears wrestling? You're going to get in between them and say, bears, you're breaking the law. Like, we can't have this. This is illegal. A couple more. In Florida, they actually made it a law that it's illegal to sell your children. Okay. I don't even know where to start with this one. I'm from Florida. Well, I don't know why you have to tell people that, right? shouldn't sell your children. In El Monte, California, it's illegal to own a pinball machine. I don't know why. Maybe people just got carried away. Like people stopped working in El Monte and they just were all focused on pinball. I'm I'm really not sure why some of these laws uh, were put into place. Uh, The point is, I think we can all agree that some of these laws are kind of ridiculous. They they don't make sense or we can't really uh, understand the purpose of why these laws are put in place. In Galatians chapter 3, verses 19 to 25, Paul is going to explain to us that though the law, in a sense, uh, was ridiculous in the sense that we couldn't keep it, uh, that doesn't mean that the law was bad or that the law didn't serve a purpose. Paul is going to make it very clear to us as to what the purpose of the law was, and he's going to share with us that the law actually served its purpose. That's the title of this teaching. The law served its purpose. The law served its purpose. Now, as we've been studying Galatians, we know there's this huge emphasis uh, on grace uh, and that we're justified by faith um, in Christ alone. It's not about what we do. It's about what he did for us. And and in chapters three and four, Paul's primarily primarily focusing on doctrine, what the Bible says about grace, Uh, not just what he's writing, but also what the Old Testament says uh, about grace and the fact that we're justified by faith. And he keeps bringing up Abraham because Abraham's a, a, a great story to get that message across. Because God made Abraham a promise, an unconditional promise. It wasn't about what Abraham was going to do. He didn't say, Abe, you do these things and I'll do these things. He said, no, hey, Abe, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to bless the nations through your seed. I'm going to give your descendants an inheritance of land, the promised land. Not only that, I'm going to make you a great nation. Many nations will come from you, actually. So we see these promises that God made to Abraham weren't based on anything that Abraham had to do. Paul points to the fact in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, that Abraham simply believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not only that, but the promises made to Abraham preceded the law. They came before the law. Paul's trying to help the churches and us realize That we're not accepted by God based on our own merits, based on our own works. We're accepted by God based on His work, 
based on his work on the cross. And all we have to do is put our faith, our trust in Jesus Christ and his completed work on the cross. And then we're saved. We receive the eternal inheritance of everlasting life with Jesus Christ. See, the church, churches, there's several churches in Galatia. We don't know how many, but it's a region. They were putting their faith in their own ability to keep the law. We could do that. We can put our faith in our ability to keep a moral standard. Or we can put our faith in Christ's ability. Because he kept a perfect standard and then he died and he rose from the dead. And through faith in that, we get to enter into the new covenant. As we'll see in this text the next week, we get to receive the promise that was initially made to Abraham. So Paul is going to go on to help us understand that we can't be justified by the law. Yet, the law had a purpose. A few purposes, actually. Uh, God didn't just give the law for no reason. Uh, because at this point, probably the Jewish Christians in these churches in Galatia are probably questioning, like, well, why were we under the law for so long? And the things that Paul is saying is kind of confusing them. So he's going to make it clear that, that the law actually served a purpose, and its purpose has been fulfilled. Look what he says here. He asks the question everybody's thinking in these churches. In Galatians chapter 3 verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? They're thinking Paul are you telling us that the law didn't have a purpose. It was given for nothing. Uh, that God made a mistake. He didn't mean to give the law. Or, or he took it back. Uh, what's the purpose of the law Paul? He says God gave the law. For a specific purpose. Look at 19. It was added because of transgressions. Till the seed should come. To whom the promise was made. And it was appointed through angels. By the hand of a mediator. Why was it given? It was added because of transgressions. The law was given because we are sinners. And in one sense. God wanted to restrain our sin. This is point number one. The law was given to restrain sin. The law was given to restrain sin. God wanted not just the Jew, but all mankind to understand his standard. This is the standard that I'm calling you to live by. And as people were aware of that standard, the hope was, the heart was, that they wouldn't break the standard. Or at least uh, by knowing the standard, it would uh, limit the uh, amount of times that they would break the standard and commit sin. However, though the law was given in one sense to restrain sin, uh, it also incited man's rebellion against God. Meaning, in one sense, it actually produced more sin in humanity. Paul tells it like this in Romans chapter 7. In Romans chapter 7, verse 5, he says... For when we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit to death. He says, when we were aware of the law, it, it aroused this thing in our flesh to what? Break the law. Look at verse 6. But now we have been delivered from the law, having died, so that we were held uh, so... Uh, to what we were held by, so that we should serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law, for I would not have known covetousness unless the law said you shall not covet. 
But sin, taking opportunity by the commandment, produced in me all manner of evil desire. For apart from the law, sin was dead. So there's a sense that the law was given to restrain sin. But there's always also a sense that once man knew the moral standard, there was something in him that said, I don't want to keep it, right? When we're told not to do something, what do we want to do? We want to, to break that law, whatever the case may be. It's from the, yeah, don't eat off the forbidden fruit, just this one up, and I want that one. I want the thing that I'm not supposed to do. This is what happens when we're given laws. There's something in us. It's that sinful nature, that rebellious nature that says, I want to break the law. Something in me wants to break it. We don't need to learn this. It's in us. So Jude, we can be in the living room, have a bunch of toys laid out for him. Tons of toys. He's got plenty of toys. The kid's not lacking. And all of a sudden, he wants to go in all the the drawers and the cupboards uh, that have things in them that we don't want him to play with. So if you're not watching him for a couple of minutes, he'll go right into the, the pan cupboard and he'll start banging pans as loud as he can. And he knows, he knows he's not supposed to be in there. Like we put those clips on certain cupboards, but they like break off and stuff like that. They're just not very good. We haven't found good ones. If you know good ones, let me know. We need to, we need to use some of those. But Jude knows. He, he's very aware because he looks like if we're there. I'm going to see how far I can go. How far can I break the law? Step over the line. We didn't teach him that. That is in him. It is part of our sinful nature. We're aware of the law. We're made aware of a certain standard that God has for us. And all of a sudden, as Paul says in Romans chapter 7, uh, I gave opportunity for sin. There was this desire in me that wanted to break the law. The law was also given to help us understand that we can't keep God's standard, which we'll get into later in the text. So the main purposes of the law, to restrain sin, to, to, to point to the fact that we are sinners, and also to point to the fact that, that Jesus uh, is our Savior, the only one that could live a sinless life, died on the cross, um, and rose from the dead. And we'll get into all of those. But there's several purposes in, in keeping the law. Those are kind of the basic ones. We see this word added back in Galatians chapter three, verse 19. It was added. What was added? The law because of transgressions. It it literally means that it came in by a side road. Okay, so you had one road, Abraham's promise. And then here's this other road. Uh, These roads aren't um, uh, opposed to each other. No, actually, it came in by a side road. He's pointing to the connection between the promise made to Abraham and and the law. It came in by a side road, but they met in the middle. Points to how they met. Galatians chapter 3, verse 19. It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. See, the Mosaic law was meant to be a temporary covenant. Unlike Abraham's promise, it wasn't an everlasting uh, covenant. The, the, the promise that was made to Abraham was an everlasting covenant. The, the, the law was a temporary covenant until what? He says, till the seed should come. Until who's the seed? Jesus Christ. Until Jesus Christ would come. Why? Because Jesus Christ fulfilled the law. He tells us this in Matthew chapter 5 verse 17. He said, uh, don't think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I I did not come to destroy. I came to fulfill. 
Jesus fulfilled the law to a T. He's the only one that was able to, to do it. He was the only one that never sinned. But by Jesus fulfilling the law, that doesn't mean that the law was revoked. It doesn't mean that the law uh, doesn't still have some sort of purpose. It means that the law is no longer the avenue by which we approach God. Meaning, I have to keep uh, these Ten Commandments and these 613 Levitical laws uh, for me to, to enter into relationship with God. No, it, it doesn't work like that. He says, till the seed should come. The law was a temporary covenant that pointed to the seed. Jesus Christ. Look what it says here, verse 19. Till the seed should come to whom the promise was made. As we mentioned last week, Jesus is the fulfillment of Abraham's promise. Remember uh, in uh, Genesis chapter 12, uh, God told uh, Abram at that point, he wasn't Abraham yet. He, he told Abram that he's going to bless all the families of the earth through his seed, singular, right? Through his seed, he was going to bless all the families of the earth. As we discussed last week, God didn't bless the nations of the world through a people group. He blessed the nations of the world through a person. And that person was Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ came from that people group, but it was ultimately through Jesus Christ that the nations were blessed to whom the promise was made. This is interesting. <clears throat> this promise, this promise that was made to Eve, that, that the serpent, the seed of the serpent would be at enmity uh, between, uh, uh, against, sorry, uh, the seed of the woman. And then later on, this promise made to Abraham, the law given to Moses, promise made through Judah to David. There's all these pieces of the puzzle that are pointing to the promise throughout the Old Testament. And the promise, as we mentioned, was ultimately fulfilled through a person. But the people that were following the Lord in the Old Testament, they waited for this promise with eager expectation, hoping that the promise would be fulfilled in their lifetime look what it says here in the hall of faith in hebrews chapter 11 we see these uh, amazing people not perfect people but but amazing people in the sense that they had faith in god that was what was amazing about them they trusted god hebrews 11 verse 35 it says women received their dead raised to life again others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection still others had trial of mockings and scourgings yes and of chains and imprisonment they were stoned they were sawn in two were tempted were slain with the sword they wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins being destitute afflicted tormented of whom the world was not worthy they wandered in desert and mountains and dens and caves of the earth and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise god having provided something better for us that they should not be made perfect apart from us these saints of old they were tormented persecuted for their faith in god afflicted went through so many different trials they went through these trials in hopes of what? That the promise would be fulfilled. That the promise of Messiah, Yeshua Mashiach, that Messiah would come on the scene and fulfill the promise that was originally made to Abraham. That he would bless 
the entire world. He would bless the nations. Sometimes I don't think we consider enough the dispensation or the age that we live in. Okay, We live in the dispensation or the age of grace. It's the easiest time in the world throughout history and even in the future. There's no easier time to come to Jesus than now. There's not, not an easier time. But since Jesus died and rose from the dead until he comes back, this is the time that it's the easiest time period to come to Jesus. When Jesus comes back, and it's Rosh Hashanah right now, and I'm just saying, you never know. No one knows the time or the hour. We talked about this last year. It could be, I don't know. It's, it ends the 11th. Um, it started last night. But when Jesus comes back, there's going to be the tribulation. And it's going to be really hard to be a Christian. You're not going to be able to provide for your family if you're a Christian because you won't take the mark of the beast. It's going to be very difficult to come to the Lord. We live in this era of grace. It's so easy to just accept Jesus uh, by faith. He saves us because of his grace for us. This promise, the saints of old, Face so much persecution with the eager expectation that it would once be fulfilled. And we live in the fulfillment of the promise. That promise, that promise was originally made to Abraham. Now, we see how the promise came. Sorry, the law, my bad. It says here in Galatians chapter 3, Verse 19, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made, and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. So Paul's saying um, that the, the law was given uh, through angels, okay? It was given by God through angels to Moses, okay? So the angels were the mediators. Uh, now, this is what tradition teaches us, uh, but this is also what the Bible confirms. Now, if you just read Exodus, in Exodus uh, 19 and 20, uh, when uh, Moses first received the law, uh, we don't see the angels there. However, uh, we see, if you want to write this down, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 2, in Deuteronomy 33, 2, uh, Moses says that there were angels on Mount Sinai, okay? He pointed to the presence of angels. Then we also see in Acts chapter 7, verse 53, uh, Stephen, just before he gets stoned, he confirms that the law was given through angels. It was given by God through angels to Moses. What's the point? Verse 20. Look at it. Galatians 3.20. Now, a mediator does not mediate for one only, but God is one. Moses needed a mediator between himself and God when he received the law. What's the point? Under the law, there's still a separation between God and man. That's why you had in the Holy of Holies there on the tabernacle and later the temple, you had that veil that separated the Ark of the Covenant from the rest of the temple. And only uh, the high priest on the Day of Atonement was able to enter into the Holy of Holies. And sometimes he didn't make it back. <laughs> sometimes he died because God didn't accept the sacrifice or for whatever reason uh, God judged him. Now, the point is, we see when Jesus died on the cross, what happened? The veil was torn giving everyone direct access to God. Under the law, there's a separation. There's still a separation between God and man. That's why Moses needed the mediator, the angels. But under the new covenant, under the covenant, 
that God made to Abraham, fulfilled through the person of Jesus Christ, we have direct access to God. The veil was torn. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 says, come boldly before the throne of grace of God. Uh, Come to the throne of grace as if you belong here. Uh, Come to the throne of grace with confidence, with boldness. Why? Because you know you're a child of God and you know Jesus paid the price for the veil to be torn. So there's not separation between us and God anymore. We have direct access to our heavenly father. That's why Jesus says, call him your father. He loves you. He wants to have an intimate relationship with you. And under the new covenant, because of what Jesus did, that can happen. There's no longer separation. There's no longer a need for a mediator. Now, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, it says there's, there's no mediator between uh, God and man other than uh, Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, but here's the reality. Jesus Christ is God, okay? So our mediator, no longer angels, uh, we have direct access to God. We have direct access to Jesus Christ. He's our mediator. Under the law, there wasn't that direct access. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21 Is the law then against the promises of God? He's just saying what they're all thinking. Does the law contradict God's promises? Uh, When when God gave the law, does that mean that that the promise made to Abraham is null and void? It doesn't mean anything anymore. Well, I tried this law, or sorry, I tried this promise to Abraham, and it just didn't really work out. The people ended up stuck in Egypt, so now we're going to try a different thing. No, 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 that's not what it is, and that's what he says here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 21, is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. The law doesn't contradict the promise. The law had a different purpose than the promise. Remember, like we said, that word added in verse uh, 19. It's to come in by a side road. The, The promise was always there. The law was given over here, but it was to meet in the middle. It had a specific purpose. It pointed to the promise. Galatians 3.21 For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been by the law. The law was never meant for man to achieve. God knew man was never going to keep the standard, that they'd never live up to it. It was never meant to point to the righteousness of man. Wow, look at them. They kept the Ten Commandments for one whole day. What's going to happen tomorrow? It was never meant to point to the righteousness of man. It was always meant to point to the righteousness of God. And he says here, for if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness uh, would have been by the law. But the law wasn't meant to bring life. It was meant to point to the fact that we all deserve death. That was the point. You can't keep it. And the consequences for not keeping it, as Paul talked about that curse, we're cursed with death. That's what we deserve because we can't keep God's moral standard. If the law could bring life, then it would bring righteousness. But the law, it only states what the standard is and the consequences for not keeping that standard. The law in and of itself, it doesn't give us the power to keep it. Just because we're given a law doesn't mean that we have the power to keep the law. The power to walk in obedience to the Lord comes through the power of the Spirit. Okay, doesn't come just from our strivings, our efforts, our energies. It comes from the power of the Holy Spirit to walk in obedience. But his point is, the law never brought life. It actually brought death. 
And if the law could have brought life, then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin that the promise of faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe. The law confined all under sin. The law pointed to the fact that we're all sinners. Okay, this word confined uh, literally means imprisonment. This is point number two. The law points to our imprisonment to sin. The law points to our imprisonment to sin. The Bible says, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We've all, literally, it means to, to miss the mark. Uh, God had a mark that we were supposed to hit, and, and we couldn't hit the bullseye. We could never do it, no matter how hard we tried. But not only are we all sinners, the Bible says that we're enslaved to sin. Now, we got to note, just as Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, he calls everybody a sinner. He's not just talking about the Jews, okay? Uh, this moral standard that God had communicated, he was putting the entire world under this moral standard, not just the Jew. He tells it like this in Romans chapter 2. In Romans chapter 2, in Romans chapter 1, He's talking about the the wrath of God being poured out on man because they've rejected him. They've had every reason to believe that 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 God is who He said He is. Even to, even creation itself is enough evidence to recognize there's a God and He has this uh, moral code. And then He says in Romans chapter two verse fourteen, He says, "For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, meaning they never were given the law." But they know to do the law. By nature, they recognize that there's a, a moral moral standard that, that God has created. These, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So he says, hey, God's put a moral standard and the, the, the reality of that moral standard and the understanding of that moral standard in every single human being's heart, okay? So we all, every single person, even if you weren't given the Ten Commandments, even if you never saw the Bible, we all have a sense of morality. We all have a sense of right and wrong. It's innate in every single individual. We know right and wrong, generally speaking, but we don't always do what is right. Why? Because we're enslaved to sin. There's something in us that though we know to do right, we don't do it. We choose to do what is wrong. The Bible says you're enslaved to sin. But here's the reality. The law can point to our slavery, but the law can't free us, okay? The law can point to the fact that we're slaves. We're slaves to sin. But the law in of itself, it cannot free us. But there's good news. Look what he says here. Galatians chapter 3, verse 22. But the scripture has confined all under sin. Literally, we're all imprisoned to sin. And the promise, that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to those who believe, good news 
is that we can put our faith in Jesus Christ who, who died for our sins. So it's no longer uh, me just striving my hardest to, to not be a sinner, though there should be effort in our walk with Jesus, uh, but it's not me just, just striving in my flesh to try to keep this perfect standard. No, that's not how we're accepted by God. We're accepted on the principle of faith. I'm believing in Jesus Christ, that he was truly God in the flesh, that, that he died on a cross for my personal sins, as well as the sins of the world. But death couldn't hold him. Why? Because he lived the perfect life. So he rose from the dead. And when we put our faith in that, we receive the promise that was originally given to Abraham. The promise of what? The promise of an inheritance that we'll get into next week. The inheritance of the real promised land. The promised land in heaven. The, the, the eternal promised land. But not only that, we also receive freedom from the bondage of sin. Literally, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus frees us from the enslavement to sin. The jail cell doors literally open. He says, walk on out. Now you're free to live the life that I've called you to live. You don't have to, you don't have to live in the prison anymore. But sadly, sometimes we say, I want to go back to the prison. It's what I know. It's what I used to. So, so can I go back? And he says, yeah, you can go back. But uh, I died so you would be free. So you wouldn't have to live in that prison anymore. But if you think that, uh, that you're better off in there, I'm telling you, you're not. But I'm going to let you keep going back as long as you want. Jesus isn't making us go back. He, he's given us the power of the Spirit to walk in righteousness, to walk in purity. And though none of us have attained, none of us are perfect, the reason we sin is not on Jesus, okay? Jesus has given us the power to be free from our sin. The problem is we don't always walk in the power. We don't always walk in the power of the Spirit. What do we do? We take steps back into darkness. We, we walk back in the flesh. We say, hey, uh, jail wasn't too bad. I'll just go back. They fed me. Like, they took care of me. The basic needs. Like, what? You can have freedom. You can do all these things, but you want to live in jail. By putting our faith in Jesus Christ, he frees us from the prison of sin. So we can live the life that God intended. Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Before the chance came to put faith in Jesus Christ, he says we were under the law. Uh, under guard, he says, we're under guard by the law implies protective custody. Okay, so we were in protective custody under the law. He's pointing to once again uh, that the law was given on one level to restrain us from sin. We were in protective custody, so, so nothing bad uh, would happen to us. See, the law is like a guardian. The only way it will let us go it's we're, if we're given to Jesus Christ. And the way we're given to Jesus Christ is by putting faith in him, okay? So, so, so we live in the prison unless we put our faith in Jesus Christ. However, even with this guardian, even with this protection, we couldn't stop sinning. Now, we have to remember that Paul, he's specifically writing this epistle 
because of a specific issue that was going on in the church. What was that? You had these Judaizers that were spreading a false gospel. That, yeah, it's great that Jesus was the Messiah. He died on a cross and he rose again. And putting your faith in that is all, uh, yeah, it's good, good and well. But uh, you also have to keep the Mosaic Law. So it, it's Jesus uh, plus the Mosaic Law equals salvation. If you just put your faith in Jesus and, and you aren't keeping the Mosaic Law, then you will not be saved. This is what they were teaching. Imagine some of the things that these church members are struggling with. If they think, oh, I have to keep, uh, I have to get circumcised and I have to keep all these laws and these ordinances and these ceremonial cleansings plus faith in Jesus, what are they going to do? They're going to question their salvation. They're not going to be secure in their faith. They're constantly wondering, oh, if I had a bad day today, does that mean Jesus is going to kick me out of the kingdom? Does that mean if I messed up today, uh, then I'm no longer saved? Can I lose my salvation? Imagine the frustration. They're thinking, man, uh, God's only going to love me if I keep this standard. I better keep the Mosaic Law or, or God's not going to love me anymore. He's not going to accept me anymore. He's not going to want anything to do with me anymore. Imagine that, thinking that. and Maybe you do. And how often do you fail at keeping that standard that you think you need to keep for God to love you every day, (laughs) at least every week? And that failing over and over and over and over again, man, uh, if I do things right today, then God will love me. But I messed up so he doesn't love me anymore. The frustration of failure. It's so frustrating. And this is what's going on in the church. They're trying to meet the standard so God would love them. And Paul says he already loves you. See, sometimes we take this approach with Christianity. If I keep, uh, if I keep messing up, if I don't keep the standard, then God's not going to love me. And, and, and this mentality uh, typically produces one of two things in your life. Either, think about it, when you keep failing over and over and over and over and over again, you have a task set before you that's impossible, you try to get it done every single day and you can't do it, what do you eventually do? I give up. I quit. And because of the misconception of Christianity, there are many people that walk away from the faith. Because because they, they think they have to keep this certain set of rules for God to accept them. But God says, uh, accept, I accept you just as you are. And we'll figure out the sin in your life as we walk through this life together. So they quit. They're insecure. They don't recognize the love of God. So failure either leads to quitting or failure goes unrecognized. And this is the problem with the Pharisees. They failed over and over and over and over again, but they pretended like what? They pretended like, I don't fail. I'm righteous. Uh, I'm more righteous than thou. I got it together. I keep the law. And he put, they, they put this burden on the people that they themselves, Jesus said, you're not keeping that burden, but you're holding them to the standard and you're not keeping the standard, but you're pretending to keep the standard. You're wearing the mask as if you're perfect. And you're not. See, the law was meant to expose our failure. It was meant to expose our failure in the hope that it would bring us to that place of surrender. That we recognize, God, I am a failure and I need you. Jesus says it like this in Luke chapter 18. Gives us a parable to help us understand this exact thing. Luke chapter 18, verse 9. 
Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. Who is he speaking to? Speaking to self-righteous Pharisees who put their trust in themselves and their own abilities, not their trust in God. It says, and they despised others, looked down on other people. Two men went up to the temple, verse 10, to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Sometimes as we walk in the Lord and we grow we grow backwards and turn into the Pharisee that, that we start looking down on people. Well, at least I'm not like them. At least I'm not an extortioner. At least I'm not an adulterer. At least I'm not an addict. At least my relationship with my wife or husband is okay. At least my relationship with my family is okay. But not this person. Not this person. They're not living up to it. They're not living the Christian life. And we can look at them with this judgment and this criticism. But we're not to see our sin through the lens of what other people are doing. We're to see our sin through the lens of what Jesus did. We're to see our sin through the lens of his perfect life. It doesn't matter what the tax collector is doing versus what the Pharisee is doing. The recognition is that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of a savior. The Pharisee didn't get it. He was trusting in his own righteousness. The tax collector, he recognized, Lord, I don't even deserve to look at you. That's what he said. I don't even deserve to look at you. I don't deserve to be in your presence. I don't deserve to be here praying to you. I don't deserve to talk to you. I don't deserve anything, but God be merciful to me. I'm a sinner, and I recognize that I'm a sinner. And he begged for forgiveness. The Bible says he's going to go home justified, meaning he declared him perfectly righteous. Not because he was a tax collector or because he was a sinner, but because he acknowledged that he was a sinner. And he asked for forgiveness. God, be merciful to me. See, the law was meant to point to the fact that we're all failures. Every single one of us, we're failures. We've messed up. We've fallen short. That doesn't mean we should just dwell in this, oh, I'm a failure. I always have to look down. No. It was help. It was to help us recognize that we're a failure. But there's one that was perfect. There's one that kept the law to a T that died on the cross for our faith. He says here, Galatians chapter 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. When Christ was revealed, faith was revealed. But you know what else was revealed? The, the purpose of the law was revealed. The, the, the law can only be fully understood through what Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection. The law is very confusing if we don't see the fulfillment of it. What does this mean, the standard that God's put me under? Jesus coming on the scene was that aha moment. This is so I don't have to beat myself up anymore. I don't have to do these things to win Christ's, win God's affections. Uh, I don't have to uh, keep this certain law so that God will love me anymore. 
No. God loves you just the way you are. That doesn't mean that everything that you do is okay. That doesn't mean that he wants you to keep uh, living in the jail cell, putting yourself in prison. That doesn't mean he wants you to, to keep walking in sin. He loves you so much that he died for you, and he hopes that that love will compel you to, to live a righteous lifestyle. Kept for the faith that would afterward be revealed. The text continues, verse 24. <clears throat> Therefore, the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. Okay, this word tutor in the Greek is the word pedagogue. Okay, tutor is like, it's not the best translation. Uh, it only gives us a part of what this individual would do. Okay, so a pedagogue uh, was a hired slave that was uh, kind of like a, a, a nanny. Okay, the pedagogue would take care of the children. The pedagogue uh, would, would really raise the children. Now, not every home could afford this. It was usually the wealthier people. Uh, they hired these pedagogues to raise the children. Uh, they would go with the children basically everywhere. And they were also disciplinarians. They, they would discipline the children when they did uh, uh, when they when they did wrong when they uh, broke the moral standard of the household. The pedagogue was also a moral tutor uh, in the sense that they showed them the way, the right way to live. We see that the pedagogue, also referred to as a guide or a guardian, Paul tells us, the law was a pedagogue. The law was a guardian. Why? To bring us to Jesus. This is point number three. The law was a guide to bring us to Jesus. The law was a guide to bring us to Jesus. Now, the pedagogue would uh, sometimes, just part of the role, uh, would tutor the children and help them with their academics or whatever the case may be. So we do see uh, an appropriate illustration uh, in that sense. We see uh, that the law was like a, a tutor, and life is the test, okay? So, so the tutor shows you how to do what? Pass the test, right? That's what tutors do. They, they teach you and they raise you up so that you can pass the next test. However, the test of life wasn't possible for us to pass. The tutor was actually preparing us not necessarily to pass the test, but to point to the only one who could pass the test. Okay, recognize, okay, this is what it's going to take to pass the test. Uh, has anyone ever been a tutor or, or had a tutor ever? Okay, yeah, okay, so uh, pretend you're a tutor, right? You're trying to teach this kid uh, uh, algebra or, or physics or calculus or something, right? Something difficult. And you're trying to teach him this, and he's just not getting it, right? You're telling him what to do, and they just won't do it, okay? We're that kid, okay? We can't do it. No matter how much the tutor invests in us, we it's impossible. We're never passing that test. There's no way. All the investment in the world, we're never going to pass that test. But the tutor, once again, was really to point us to the only one who could pass the test. Because the test of life was really a test for Jesus. He was the only one that could pass the test of life to a T. It's almost as if the test of life wasn't really prepared for us. It was prepared for him. We will fail the test every single time. It doesn't matter how much I study. It doesn't matter how much I memorize. It doesn't matter how much I try. I strive. I cannot pass the test. Pass the test was made for Jesus. It's like this, loose illustration. 
Uh, anybody know what the NFL Combine is? The NFL Combine? Okay, I know. Some of you do. Okay, so the NFL Combine. I'm big into football. Um, the NFL Combine is, a, is an annual event uh, that is really a test uh, for upcoming rookies, okay? So you have to be invited. You have to be good to go to the Combine. It's not for everyone. Um, uh, but you're invited to take uh, these series of tests. Uh, some of it is your 40 time, how fast you can run the 40-yard dash. Uh, your vertical, how high you can jump. Uh, the long jump, uh, they do very various drills depending on what position that person plays. Uh, and this is the test that's prepared uh, for rookies each and every year uh, to, to get drafted uh, into the NFL, okay? Now, if I went to the NFL combine, guess what? I would fail, okay? I would fail. I'm pretty, I work out a lot and I'm, I'm a pretty decent athlete, but I'm not an NFL football player. There's no way I'm making it to the NFL, but the NFL Combine, it wasn't made for me. It was made for NFL football players. I'm not an NFL football player. In the same way, the test of life was really made for the pro. The standard that God gave was really only the standard that Jesus Christ himself could keep. The pedagogue, the guardian, we see basically uh, work themselves out of a job, all right? So the guardian was there. They were hired slave for a certain period of time. They were there uh, for the kids to help them grow up into mature human beings. But guess what? When the kid hit like adolescence or the parents uh, uh, said that they're responsible enough to take care of themselves, guess what? Pedagogue is gone, okay? We don't need them anymore. They could have hired them for something different, but that's traditionally how it worked. It was a temporary job. Uh, in the same way, we see here that the law had had a temporary job. It was a, a temporal uh, covenant. Just as when the child reaches adolescence, he's able to take care of himself. He's able to experience the freedoms of this life. He, he's learned right and wrong. He, he's learned how to do life well. We see we were under the law. The world was under the law for a certain period of time. Period of time. Until Jesus Christ came. The law was put in place to protect humanity until the age of the Messiah. Until the coming of Christ. Until the age of grace. Until the age of faith. It says here. Verse 24, therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. It's good news. Jesus not only was able to pass the test, but he actually did pass the test. And guess what? We get all the benefits from Jesus passing the test. We kept failing over. It's like we get an A even though we got an F. That's really what it is. We get an A even though we got an F. Back to the football illustration, be like this. If my brother, I can't, you know, I'm not going to make it through the combine and, and get to the NFL. Uh, but my brother, uh, say he was. He's not making it in the NFL either. Um, but but say he did, right? And my brother, uh, he, he makes it to the NFL and he gets a multi-million dollar contract. And he says, hey, I'm sharing it all with you. I'm sharing it all. I didn't do anything to do that. He's the one that trained. He's the one that passed the test. But I get to the, inherit these millions of dollars. Why? Because my family did it my family member jesus christ this is what he did he passed the test and we get all the benefits for what he did the heavenly inheritance as we'll talk about next week 
Lastly, verse 25. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we're no longer under the tutor of the law. We get invited into a covenant of grace. Hey, we're under God's moral standard until we put our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, God says, I'm no longer going to hold you to the consequences of breaking that moral standard. That doesn't mean that there's not a place for morality in Christianity. Uh, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking of righteousness of the heart. When I accept Jesus into my life, he comes into my heart and he starts changing things from the inside out and he compels me to live a certain way in this life i don't have to live that certain way in order to win his affections or to win my salvation but it should be a natural response from the salvation that i already received because i recognize how much he loves me and i want to honor him with my life see the law the law had a purpose and the law ultimately served its purpose to point us to the fact that we're in bondage to sin that we cannot help but sin. And the wages of sin, as we see the curse of the law, is death. But Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died a perfect death, the death that we deserve. Then he rose from the dead so that we would no longer be under the covenant of the law. Not only that, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, Not only do we get heaven, not only are we forgiven, not only does he declare us perfectly righteous, but he also frees us from the jail of sin. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. God, we we pray, Lord, that we would continue to grow in grace. God, we've been talking about it so much as as this epistle is just covered in grace. Lord, I pray that we want to grow sick of it, that we want to grow tired of it. Lord, we would recognize our need for grace every single day, that, that we wouldn't be able to get enough of it. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would give us uh, understanding in your word as to where the law fits in as we discuss today. God, that we would see that the law had a purpose. It, it served its purpose. God, and you fulfilled it, Lord, so that we could be in an intimate relationship with you so that the veil could be torn, God, that we could enter into your presence constantly. God, I pray that this is what we would do. We would live our lives in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.